This is week number two of a series called Habits. Because these little choices that we make, they add up to big changes in our life. Our routines, our habits, the things that we go through on a daily basis, they matter. They matter for lots of different reasons. Uh, I remember as a kid, I knew my mom's habits pretty well. And we got to kind of a funny season where it was just after Halloween. And as a seventh grader, when you have a really cool wolfman mask and Halloween is past, you've got to kind of find a use for that mask still, right? And so I knew my mom's morning habit. Her habit was to come pull the covers off me, tell me it was time to wake up. And my mom was generally a pretty jumpy lady anyway. I mean, like Disney movies would like make her fall off of the couch just watching them. And so I remember there was this one time where I was laying in my bed and I knew my mom was going to come to wake me up. And so I took that wolfman mask and put it on, just waited. As she came in, like her normal routine was, pulled the covers off, I turned, gave her like the roar, and it was really funny until I was grounded. But it was still really funny later too. But it, it was her habit that let me know, okay, it's going to be this time, I can pull this off, this is going to happen. Some of our habits, they, they lead us into things that maybe we don't want to be in. They lead us into circumstances that we weren't expecting, but it's, there's things that are just, this is the natural outcome if you keep this habit going on. Because the fact is, so many of us have been living our lives in a way, it's like our goal is to be in the best shape of our life. But our habit is to start the day off with three donuts. And our habit is completely disconnected from our goal. Our goal is to have a close relationship with that friend, but our habit is to never reach out and talk to them. Our goal is to have a healthy marriage, but our communication is anything but healthy. Our habits lead us towards something, and if our habits are leading us towards something that is not in line with our goals, then we have to make changes. We have to make changes to the way that we've been living our life. And you guys know that your morning routine on a normal workday, it's largely just a replay of what it was before, isn't it? I mean, not much changes. In fact, studies have kind of determined that 40% of the decisions that you make out of the day, you don't even think about. You just go back to the habit of what you've always done. I mean, it starts off like I, gra- I wake up, I grab my phone, I check social media to see who's, who's saying what about me or who's liking my stuff. And once I get that personal kind of gratification, okay, people thought of me, now I can go get started, drink my coffee because it's safer for the kids when I drink the coffee first, start getting the kids ready, get their breakfast made, get them out the door, get lunches packed, get myself ready, get out the door. And it's like the same habit. Like I drive the same route to work and even when I'm driving, like it's such a habit that I don't even think about how I drove there and that's a little bit terrifying that I didn't think about anything I did while I was driving, it just happened. Like we replay the same habits, but so often we want something different, but we just replay these habits. Because it feels like these are just really small choices. Like what I said, it was an insignificant small thing. And, and we falsely determine, even when we're trying to make positive changes, we falsely determine that these small choices really don't matter that much. These small good choices don't matter that much, or these small bad choices don't matter that much. When in reality, just like the video, little choice, little choice, little choice can grow an influence to where it can move something bigger than what you expected. 
Today we're going to be looking at a couple different passages from the Old Testament. If you have your Bible with you and you want to follow along, we'll of course always project the words up on the screen. But if you like to be ready, we're going to be in Daniel 6 in Nehemiah 4 and in Zechariah 4. And we're going to be looking at a couple of different pictures because there's some positive habits and things that we can learn because consistency matters in the way that we, we live our life. Uh, Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, one of the largest churches in America, he said this quote, which I think is so true and so important for us to realize. And he said that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Oh yeah, I work out every once in a while. Oh yeah, I read my Bible every once in a while. Oh yeah, I go to church every once in a while. Oh yeah, I'll take my wife out on a date every once in a while. And, it, and it's not about having the occasional positive choice, but it's about operating with consistency, looking at the small choices that we're making and beginning to adapt them to move towards the God-given dreams, goals, and callings that are on our life. And so we're going to start off in Daniel chapter 6, starting with verse number 3, and we can go ahead and project this up on the screen. And it says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. I'm going to pause there for just a second. And as we start off with the prophet Daniel, this was someone who is a Jewish person who, because the Jews, and this is what scripture said, it said, if you walk away from God, then I'm actually going to take this nation away from you, and I'm going to move you out. You're going to be conquered by other nations and pulled out to other places. And that's what happened. And so he was someone who was pulled away from his home country and he's serving somewhere else in a different culture, in a different country for a king who not only serves other gods but believes that he is a god, believes that he's worthy of people praying to him. He's in this situation which is obviously difficult but his life is continuing to be fruitful even in a difficult circumstance. And he served so well that amongst 120 other leaders, he had distinguished himself so much that the king began to say, I'm going to take this guy and I'm going to put him over everything else. And as you can imagine, when you do better than the other people around you, people start getting angry. People start getting jealous. People start having things to say. People start looking for faults. And so into verse 4, it says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. And so they looked at the situation and said, the best way that we can keep him from being our boss, the best way that we can slow his success and elevate our own success is if we find some way within what he believes because they've seen within him this consistency in the way that he's followed God. And so they're looking and they're going to find a fault. In this chapter, chapter 6 in Daniel, is that familiar story of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, many of you guys have seen the veggie tale of it. You've seen, you've seen the different portrayals of the way that it happens, but it's a story that you're familiar with because what began to happen is as these other leaders looked and found, tried to find fault within his religion, they said, you know what? Daniel prays consistently, so let's go to the king and let's kind of build up his ego a little bit and say, you should make a decree because you're so worthy that everyone should only pray to you for 30 days. 
because, because you are worthy of that. And, and they encouraged the king, and then he signed the decree, which became law. And they knew that Daniel, he's someone who he's going to pray to his God despite what this says. So they were already on the lookout. And so into verse 10, it says that, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, we can go and put this up on the screen. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. One of the first interesting things that culturally would kind of skip over us, that as it describes him kneeling down to pray, that in this culture and time, the, the position of prayer to the king or, or to their foreign gods was like this. And, and this is the way that they would say their prayers, almost kind of a face-to-face, hands up. That's how they, they would say their prayers. And so just even the posture of Daniel's prayers would have been considered offensive. Because that's not the way they pray. That's not the style they pray. And then beyond the, that, the fact that he's going against the word and the decree of the king and continuing to pray, that, that, that was huge. And the thing that I want you to see, the thing that I don't want you to skip over in that pas- passage is it says three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. The, the two things we're going to focus on real quick is, is the three times a day. Now, there's nothing necessarily magical about praying three times a day, but within their culture and context, there was obvious cues throughout the day that they would take, and I mean, you could almost compare it to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That as part of that, that they would engage in a prayer life, in a spiritual connection with God, where they would take time out and they would stop. And and the normal times that would happen in the sacrifice system, when they had the temple in Jerusalem, it, it would be the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour of the day. And and these would be the times where where Daniel was known to pray, and that's why those leaders knew to come and check his house at that time. And and those hours, they're kind of important because we see them play out in different times throughout Scripture. Like in the New Testament, when Jesus was put on the cross, it's listed as being the third hour. When when he he cried out, it it was, or when when the land went dark, it was the sixth hour. And when it says that he gave up his spirit and, and he died on the cross, it was the ninth hour. In, in the book of Acts, when the, the disciples were all, when the apostles were all together praying, and, and the Holy Spirit came in, it's known as the day of Pentecost. That day, they were gathered together during the third hour for prayer. The, these were signs of prayer. And the interesting thing to me is that, especially in the case of the New Testament with, with the apostles, they were gathering together, and it was just a normal, ordinary, boring prayer meeting. I mean, like, this was just the normal thing they did, that they knew, okay, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, we're going to gather together with other people, and we're going to pause, and we're going to pray. But in that moment, something crazy happened, and they turned a corner that they didn't expect, because they're just there together having their normal prayer meeting, doing the thing that they normally would do three times a day. This was a Jewish tradition that they followed in their connection with God. And in that moment where they were just doing a regular, routine, simple thing of praying, it's like they turned this huge corner in the life of the church. And if you're not familiar with the story, that's the moment where, where God sent his Holy Spirit to empower them to, to do amazing, incredible things. And what happened is they went from praying in an upper room, kind of being hidden off, to being down in the streets where thousands of people were coming to Christ. I mean, it was an incredible, amazing day. It was a turning point in the life of the church. But they didn't expect it to be a day like that. But that's how it goes with being faithful in the small things. Because it's in these small things where we're found trustworthy for the greater things. 
I'm going to tell you, in the life of Daniel, so he got caught praying in the situation and the normal times that they would be praying in that culture if they were a follower of Yahweh, if they were a Jewish person. And so he gets brought before and he's found guilty of praying to God instead of praying to the king and he gets thrown into the lion's den. Now, getting thrown into the lion's den, that's the point where we usually start praying in our faith, isn't it? I mean, that's the point where it's like, okay, it's time to go back to church. Like, this is getting bad. Things are coming apart at the seams. We, we need Jesus now. But I'm going to tell you, in situations like this, I mean, God did an incredible miracle, and the lions paid no interest. They had no interest in Daniel while he was in the lion's den. But that's not a, to a result of what he prayed on his way into the lion's den. God could have worked through anyone that he wanted in that kingdom. There were other Jewish followers of God, but there was something distinct about Daniel. And that is why he continued to have success and be fruitful in what he did, because there's something consistent in his heart and the way that he lived for God. And so when he got in this circumstance where it was terrible, I, I don't think there's good evidence that he enjoyed his night in the lion's den. But he was able to make it through it. Not because of what he prayed during it, but because of how he prayed before. And this is, man, this is just so simple. I mean, this is, this is, this is just, a, like, Paul, why are you spending time on such a simple concept? The way that you live leading up to a situation is, the deter- is going to determine how you make it through that situation. If you've been wrecking your marriage for six years, and then the fight, the fight happens, the I'm walking out fight happens, that is a logical conclusion to what's been happening. If you have just been ignoring God for the last six years of your life and things start to break apart, that is a logical conclusion to what's happening. If you have been obedient to God over the last six years of your life and you get a diagnosis that is difficult or a relationship that is strained and God shows up and gives you strength through a terrible situation, that is a logical conclusion to what's happening. I mean, this is not really a surprise ending. This isn't like a twist in a story that we didn't expect. This man had been walking with God. He had to go through a difficult, terrible situation, but God was with him through it. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise. It's the conclusion. God shows up. And and this is the thing that I want you to see. Daniel, one of the big highlights of the way that he lived his faith, It wasn't anything deep. It wasn't anything complicated. I mean, one of the biggest things that we see about his faith is that he set aside times, three times a day, where he would just, he would recognize who God is in his life. And he would break away for these moments of prayer. They they would often recite scriptures as part of their prayers. And God looked at him and said, "I, I see someone who is faithful, someone that I can trust with authority and power, someone that that I will protect as he follows me in the face of criticism, unjust criticism, unjust condemnation, as he walks through that, and I will let him walk through it, but I'm going to be with him through it. But it's these small, I mean, it's not hard to pray, right? It's not hard to take a minute to pray. We, We don't do it enough, but we know that when we do it, it's not really challenging to do. Like, it's easy enough of a thing to do. We can do that in 30 seconds. We can, we can spend 15 minutes or 30 minutes praying. Like, like, we can do that in any one of those chunks, but it's not challenging. It's not, it's not difficult on the body to do. But it's powerful. 
You know, with all the resources that we have to save marriages today, I mean, there's video series, there's podcasts, you can go to counseling, you can go to group therapy. There's lots of ways to save a marriage uh, or to keep a marriage healthy. But what's statistically found as the number one way to divorce-proof your marriage is as simple as praying together once per day. Studies have found 99.99% of people who pray together every day 99.99% of them will stay married forever until death do you part. When you compare that against the normal statistic of just people in the church, people in the church versus people who are not in the church, the divorce rate is, is about the same. But when you step into that person who we pray together, this simple little act, it actually almost divorce proofs your marriage. But it's just so small. It seems so insignificant, like this one little thing. But when you think about it, it's like, man, if I'm praying with someone and for someone, if I'm praying with my wife, I can't be bitter towards her and pray for her in the same moment. It just doesn't work. When I'm praying for her, I can't help but want to see her dreams and her aspirations and her calling come true. I mean, when you pray for someone, it changes your heart, but it also keeps your heart healthy because you're not just talking about the best and and praying for that person, but you're also talking to God. So it's like when there's things in your life that that need to be fixed, you can't help but fix them when you're in communication with God about it. And so it's this really healthy, helpful thing that you can do. And and so the the first thing, I know that it seems so small, but never, go and put this on the screen, never underestimate how God can do something big through one small habit. And this is true of your prayer life. This is true in your health. This is true in your finances. This is true in so many areas that that when we want to see huge, visible change, it starts with these small steps of obedience. It starts with these small things. Fixing a marriage that has been through, that is in a difficult situation, it it can start to correct its course by something as simple as let's just grab each other's hand and just say what we're thankful for for a minute because praying together right now it feels too hard so let's just start and we'll say what we're thankful for maybe in a week or two it, it'll actually slip up into we, we pray together in, in a full sentence and we say a prayer and maybe that begins to change the, the, the course of the way your marriage is going or your life or your spiritual life has been going so, so Daniel he goes through the experience he goes through the line and, and God works in incredible ways, and it's not because of some big grand thing that Daniel had done, but it's, I believe, because of the consistency that we see in his life, the consistent choice to continue to honor God and what he was doing, which is what we need in our life. And when we look at our life and the things that we want God to do, the things that we want him to change, the dreams that we want to see him bring to fruition in our life, sometimes it feels like it's just too big of a project to even tackle, and so we just kind of ignore it, hoping that it'll get better on its own. And as I was preparing this message, it reminded me uh, of another Old Testament story of Nehemiah, which, which if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, it's kind of a similar circumstance to what was going on with Daniel, where, where he was someone who was in exile from his country, but he got permission to go back home because when he heard about the wall surrounding the city, it, it was in disrepair. Everything in the city, because they had lost the war, it was burned down, it was beaten down, the foundations were nearly destroyed. I mean, it was in a terrible circumstance. And so Nehemiah goes back and and he's getting permission to to fix what's happened there and and to lead the charge of repairing the the walls. And as he does this, we we see the the neighboring enemies that are around hear and see that they're trying to fix the wall. And this is what they say when they begin to see 
improvement and an attempt at improvement. In verse 2, and we'll put this on the screen, it says, Saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? A charred one at that? They looked at the repairs and they began to say, this job is too big. Like, how ridiculous are they? How ridiculous are they? Maybe you've heard something like this as you've started going to church. How ridiculous is it that they're going to church? When they touch that church door, lightning is going to fall from heaven. I mean, people better not be standing near them because they're going to be a grease spot. Like, what do they think they're going to do going to church? Oh, you're going to try to fix your marriage now. After all that's happened, after all that's been done, you're going to try to do that. What, what are you doing in the gym? You're so out of shape. What, what do you think you're doing in this place? I mean, we're familiar with the criticism when people begin to try to make positive changes in their life, and this is largely what was happening. They were looking at the changes that they were trying to make, and they're like, this job is too big. It's too far gone. You'll never be able to make progress. And sure, it, it, it was not an easy thing, but I put myself in kind of the shoes of being the person there, just seeing these huge sections that are gone in the wall and having one stone in my hand, being like, what difference is this going to make in a wall that is supposed to be 10 feet tall? What difference is this one stone supposed to make? And you might find yourself fixing something in your life where it feels like, what difference is this one small piece going to make in something that's supposed to be huge, but right now it is so torn apart? But one stone at a time, a wall can be rebuilt. One small decision at a time, a marriage can be saved. One small decision at a time, maturity can happen. One small decision at a time, you can fix what's going on in your life. And it might feel like there is just still so much ground to cover, that doesn't mean you say no to the one thing that's in front of you that you can do. Because God is honored when we choose to do the thing that's in front of us that we can do, even when we can't do something about the whole big picture. And I understand the criticisms. I remember early in my faith when I had become a Christian, and my, my dad has never really been in the picture for long. He was a commercial fisherman. He was gone. And if you know like the reputation of what sailors do and how they talk and how they act, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty accurate for the most part, at least in my life it was. And so my dad wasn't always like the hero figure in my life. And so I'm a new Christian and bringing some of my new Christian friends around with, with someone that I knew pretty well, had known me for a long time. And this person, I think, had already had one or two drinks early in the morning. But they were talking and talking about my father and then talking about me and said the statement of, I know Paul's a Christian now, but the apple never falls far from the tree. Like, I think we're going to go now. I don't really need my friends to hear about this. But it was, it was like, I know the feeling of when you're trying to improve and people bring your past back out in front of you. I, I know the feeling of when you're trying to do something that you believe will make a difference and people just say, oh, it's just a phase. It's not going to last. That, that dream isn't going to happen. That change can't occur. I, I know that feeling, but I want to tell you that that, that feeling and, and that sort of concept that you're trapped in what the people up your family tree have done, or you're trapped in the habits of your past, that, that you can't change relationships, they can't be different from what they have been, that's a lie. 
And not only that, it minimizes the power in the person of God. Because God has the ability to, if, if he can bring a dead man back to life, how, how can you say that he can't bring life back into my marriage? How can you say he can't bring joy back into my heart? How can you say that he can't bring wholeness from what's happened in my past? God is able to do any of these things, but what I've experienced is, and what I've experienced in my own life of being someone who came to Christ at the age of 17 and had to change so many things, that the way that God's healing occurs, it just feels like one small segment at a time. God says, be faithful in this today. And so the second point is this. You can't repair everything today, but you can do something. You can't repair everything today, but you can do something. And just like Nehemiah and the people who are, who are restoring the wall, it, it might feel like this is just too expansive to tackle. One small choice at a time, and you will grow. One small choice at a time, and you will experience healing. One small choice at a time, and God will find you faithful with the little things, and so he'll know he's able to trust you with the greater things. But it always happens by one choice at a time. In the book Zechariah, it, there's this one verse that, that's, one that, that's worth, having, worth having written down somewhere. And in verse 10, in the first half of it, it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And this is a prophetic uh, description of, of how the temple was going to be rebuilt. And, and it talks about just the beginning. It doesn't talk about the holistic picture of what it's going to be, but it's talking about how God feels at the beginning of a process of restoration. And I think that this is important for you to hear because there's a sense in us because of our past relationships that if I have been messing up for a long time, that, that God's voice or the authority figure voice over me is going to look at me when I try to finally correct my course and they're going to say, about time. You've been messing up for so long, it's about time you try to get this thing fixed. And that's the attitude and voice sometimes that we put on God when we begin to make positive changes in our life. But the heart of God, I believe, is on display in this verse that it says that he actually rejoices to see the work begin. That as bad choices have been made in the past, that when you begin to fix that marriage, fix that relationship, fix that friendship, fix your relationships at work with your coworkers, when you begin to make those improvements, that God actually looks down and he rejoices on the changes that are happening. He doesn't get stuck on the past. That your heavenly father looks down and, and he says, all right, there is joy in this because good things are coming. Because that's his heart for you. God's heart for you is growth. God's heart for you is healing. God's heart for you is wholeness. And I, I believe that there's part of that equation where we experience healing and wholeness because God does something amazing in our life. But I also believe that we experience that, that healing and wholeness when God speaks to our life and says, okay, I want you to take this step and we listen. But the biggest thing is when you decide to say yes to God, he looks at that moment with joy, which is the third thing I want you to be clear on. And the band, you guys can make your way up to the stage. I'm gonna to start to wrap this up. The Lord loves to see the work begin. The Lord, he loves to see the work begin. And if you have felt on the edge of making a decision, if you have felt on the edge of making a decision to get healthier in your life in some way, whether it's spiritually in your life, in your physical health, in your emotional health, in the relationships in your life, I believe that God rejoices when he sees you getting healthier. In my own life, 
I've had, I've had good experiences. I've had bad experiences, like all of you guys in church. It's easy to get hurt in a church. It's easy when you're trying to take a, a healthy step for someone to be like, hey, I see this in your life. I heard this from your car. I heard this about you, and get in your face about something. And I want to be clear, there is a time for accountability, and there's a time for us to help each other in that way. But I'm so thankful that in, in my young life, when I became a Christian, and there's so many, there are so many things that I had wrong in my life. Neither someone in the church or God took a list and wrote out, you know, that sin number one, sin number two, sin number three, sin, num- sin number 3,000, put it on one piece of paper and smacked it down in front of me and said, Paul, fix this now. Because they could have. There was a lot going on in my life. But God and his patience and the mentors that I had in my life as well were patient with me and said, Paul, do you see this right now? Do you see, do you see this? Do you feel God speaking to you about that in your heart? It's time to take that small step. And as I chose, not as anyone forced me, because no one can force you to grow in your relationship with God, but as I chose to say yes to God in those small steps, as I chose to begin the work in my life, the healing and the wholeness that I began to experience, man, it didn't happen in a day, but I look back over 10 years as I'm approaching 20 years walking with Christ, I never would have believed you if you told me I'd be standing where I was today. I never would have thought I'd be able to be the kind of husband or dad I am. Not that I'm perfect, in any way but I just want to tell you this it was not a huge moment, it wasn't a huge jump of growth it was a small decision it was a little yes it was I'll make that change so church I want to encourage you first to be honest with yourself how are you doing right now where in your life do you need healing? Where in life, in your life do you need growth? Are you willing to take a small step? Are you willing to say yes to God about it? Because I believe when you get to that point where you say, okay, it doesn't feel like it'll make a difference, but I'll take that step. I'll give you a yes, God. And know as you take that step, God's going to take you further into growth and healing than you would have imagined. And as you take that step, I want you to know you're not alone in it. We're all trying to get better. You're not alone in it because your heavenly Father is walking with you through it. You're not alone in it because you have a church of people who will be happy to surround you and walk with you through whatever you're walking through. You have the choice to have community here. But once again, a small step forward that you have to take. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you are patient with us. And I thank you that there is grace upon grace for our mistakes. And I thank you that you challenge us. You challenge our hearts and you call us to something better. And so, Father, help us to respond with courage to say yes. Help us respond with courage to grow because we know that your plans for us have purpose and reason. 
They're filled with joy and they're filled with love and they're filled, filled with healing. We know your plans for us are perfect. So help us to trust you as you guide us. Help us to trust you as we take that first step. And help us to be a community to each other and to this city as we all grow and follow you. We thank you for the gift of new life that is found in Christ. We thank you that you are continuing to work. We give you our hearts once again in Jesus' name. Amen.